Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 85. We're closing in on 100. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop saying that actually because that's actually still three or four months away and that's going to get really tired. Hey. Um, okay, so today I have finally for you Dr. Alyssa Song, a wonderful pediatrician out of the US. Uh, I've had the great pleasure of catching up with her. Uh, while she was in Sydney. Um, I'm looking forward to working with her on her beautiful um, Thrive Summit uh, as uh, speaking on low-tox stuff, which is going to be really exciting. Um, she's just such a beautiful person, beautiful family, and uh, and an incredible uh, mind when it comes to these modern childhood epidemics we're faced with and the work she's done with her patients over the years uh, and now doing more publicly to help more families who might not necessarily be able to get to an integrative physician or have access financially to that kind of care, just so we can start to feel a bit more empowered around our decisions. Um, uh, she's, uh, she's a beautiful soul. So we've been trying to have this podcast catch up for months and months. Um, but you know, it was just one of those, one thing leads to the other. I had something and she had something. We were like, we will get there. We want to do this. And, um, and so I said, you know what? I wanted to interview for low tox kids as well. She was like, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. So we actually did both interviews one after the other. And I kid you not, between the two interviews, we spoke for three and a half hours. Uh, <laughs> uh, we just could have, and we could have kept talking. Um, so they're both really long, really juicy interviews. You obviously have this one with the podcast, but those of you who are thinking of doing or have done the Low Tox Kids e-course, then um, we do a whole lot on, um, you know, pediatrician approved home remedies and home empowerment around little things we can do for small ailments without feeling the need to go to a pharmacy or um, or get a prescription every time. And while pharmacies and prescriptions can be amazing save the day situation stuff, there's heaps of stuff we feel really disempowered about, really frightened of, things like a small fever, for example. And Alyssa talks us through um, uh, the finer points of, of what we need to worry about when it comes to a fever and what we don't need to worry about and what to do to support our child. Um, that we can do from home. So it's a really great interview for those of you who are doing that course. But today's interview, we're really focused on um, the modern childhood epidemics. We speak quite um, quite broadly as well. I mean, there's a lot to cover in this. Uh, there are a lot of um, children who aren't thriving and that's heartbreaking. And uh, and I, I just love to think that we can play a small part in a parent's life in learning something that helps change their trajectory. That is just one of my favorite things about my job. Um, and so I hope you enjoy today's interview with Alyssa because it's, um, it's just packed full of great stuff. You can pop to the show notes and, and have a look at all the things we cover, or you can just keep listening and, uh, and enjoy. Um, now today is the absolute very last day that you can get 20% off your Walida range. Um, and it's also free shipping for orders that are $29.95 or more. And that is for Aussies only, I'm afraid, but uh, your code is lowtoxlife and it's walida.com.au. And, um, I have been using the body oils. Um, I'd always used the Arnica oil, but I hadn't used the other oils from the range and they very graciously sent, 
um, a couple to try. And um, something I've been loving is the evening primrose oil. It is just so luxuriant. And um, maybe it's because I'm in my 40s now, but that evening primrose is very effective for um, skin moisturization, mood enhancement. I just love it. It is delicious after a good bath or shower. Um, and then a lot of people hate cellulite and want to tame that down. The birch cellulite oil is fabulous. So I would say do a little dry brushing before your shower and then hit the birch oil after the shower as your moisturizer once you've got all of that dead skin off. And it really does work to improve tone. It's wonderful stuff. The birch tree is incredibly um, cleansing or incredibly effective for cleansing, um, for lymphatic movement. Um, optimizing our lymphatic system, all those good things. So yeah, hit the body oils. There's just, there's quite a few, the rose oil and it's, um, it's a beautiful smelling rose, like the smoothing night rose, um, facial cream as well that I, that I use. I love that smell. So anyway, I could rave on about them forever, but I won't, um, just go to the website cause you've only got one day. So we don't have time to lose. Two more little things uh, is Mindful in May that now kicks off uh, like this week and you literally have today left to register. Now, if you register through our show notes link reminder, you'll also get access to our low tox pop-up Mindful in May group. So I've created a pop-up group and it's wonderful to see so many of you guys are in there already because I just thought it'd be really good for us to all motivate each other over the month of May All that we're doing over the month of May is listening to inspiring interviews around mindfulness, intentional living, um, meditation, um, some wonderful researchers, everyone from PhDs to guru meditation teachers and in between. And we're meditating for 10 minutes a day. And I really think building a discussion around that is going to support each other to turn this into a habit um, from 10 minutes to beyond 10 minutes, uh, depending on where you want to take your practice. So join us. It's going to be super fun. Um, thank you to those of you who have started um, supporting us on the patreon.com forward slash Lotox Life page. Um, Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And, um, and we have this supporter page uh, to um, ensure that we don't have to bring you too many ads, but I do want to keep one a month because I just think there are so many beautiful brands, a lot of people trying to transition, and it is nice to be able to save some cash on your transitioning or stocking up. So we will have one ad a week, um, but I'm capping it to that and asking you guys instead to support us so that um, you don't have to hear me waffling on (laughs) forever and ever before a show and you can instead um, support us. And I've got a whole bunch of goals around what we can achieve with each level of support we get to, um, technological goals, like being able to send a microphone uh, to guests who don't have microphones, don't have experience podcasting, because that way we can get you the best audio quality available. Um, doing transcripts. Uh, obviously, we've got from the get-go the private Facebook chat group to discuss the podcast or anything else low tox. And as we build Patreonage, um, of course, I'd really love to get us some regular guests inside the Facebook group to do live Q&As or extended author interviews and all that kind of stuff. So join us there. It should be fun. Uh, I'm, I've got absolutely nothing left to say. You're probably relieved for me to say that. And, uh, and I'd love to introduce you to this wonderful conversation that I've had with paediatrician Dr. Alyssa Song. Enjoy. Alyssa, how are you? 
I am doing great. Thank that you for having is, me on the show. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. For people who um, don't know your work, I, I mentioned it in the intro briefly there, but it, you just are such a champion for children's health and uh, and it's uh, something that I've wanted to do for ages. We've been trying to get our schedules together for months, but we are here and we're doing this and uh, yes. and I can't wait to cover some of the things we're going to be talking about. Um, now, let's start, just in case people haven't come across your work before, I would love to hear from you just kind of how you came to be doing what you do today, why you chose the integrative avenue as a physician um, and and, yeah, how that unfolded for you. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because really, um, I think I've always, as I started my medical career, had an interest in integrative medicine. I mean, this was back in my undergraduate days, you know, at at Stanford, I, gosh, this was back in, you know, 1989, I think, <laughs> where I heard these people, I, for some reason, I had this desire to go to this conference um, just down the street uh, with these people that I'd never heard of, but they were people like Andrew Weil and Deepak Chopra yeah, <laughs> and wow. Joan Borisenko. And my mind was blown. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I, I had been on track to be a lawyer. <laughs> I go to law wow. school. Yep. And I thought, oh, wow, this is so fascinating. Uh, and so then I, I kind of shifted gears. I knew I always wanted to work with kids and I was going to be, you know, um, a children's health advocate, public policy lawyer, work for the Children's Defense Fund. And then I shifted gears and I thought, well, maybe I'll be a pediatrician. Right? <laughs> so so then I, you know, went to medical school and was completely disillusioned. I mean, it just, there was nothing I saw that I wanted to do wow. um, in medical school. I, I did have the opportunity to start up, a, you know, kind of a uh, integrative medicine. Back then we called it CAM, Complementary and Alternative Medicine um, uh, Interest Group in medical school. And in residency, you know, I was able to um, forge out an, an integrative medicine uh, rotation in the rheumatology department where I got really interested in integrative treatments for autoimmune illnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to work in the hospital. I, in clinic, I thought, wow, you're seeing, you know, eight patients an hour, barely getting to say hi. And, you know, we were seeing kids over the years that were getting sicker and sicker and sicker and literally just putting band-aids on their symptoms, putting out the fires, but they would keep coming back, getting sicker and sicker. And so, you know, I, I was not going to actually... Um, going to clinical medicine, uh, you know, I thought, well, let me revive my public policy interests. And I went back and got my public policy degree. And I had every intention of going to Washington, D.C. and working on children's health rights. Mm. Um, but, and then, you know, I actually found or it kind of found me again, functional medicine. Yeah. And I went to this food as medicine conference, um, you know, right out of residency. And I heard Mark Hyman for the first time. And Aww. this was back in 19, uh, gosh, no, it was back in, uh, yeah, 1999. And I thought this, I, how can I ever go back? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so then, you know, I, I found, you know, this, this whole way of thinking and shifting, you know, how you think about medicine and, um, getting to the root cause of healing and healing from the inside out. And, um, and so I studied functional medicine and from there I thought, you know, let me see what other avenues I had never even thought of are out there. And that's how I um, got into acupuncture and herbal medicine and homeopathy. Um, and, and once I started practicing, you realize, you know, with an integrative approach, not only can you, 
help keep kids healthier so that they don't develop chronic illnesses. But, you know, these chronic illnesses that they're diagnosed with that are supposedly lifelong, like, um, you know, ADHD or, um, you know, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis or asthma, you know, that, that you're not supposed to, quote, outgrow, you know, all of a sudden with a functional medicine integrative medicine approach, these kids were getting better, right? They were getting off of their heavy duty medications and they were happy and they were thriving. So that's been my biggest um, inspiration to keep this work and, and, you know, really bring this work out to people um, all over the world who don't necessarily have access to this kind of care so they know there are possibilities for your child if your child is sick or even if your child isn't sick there are so many avenues to keep them healthy Mm, absolutely and it's um it's just for me it's just something that makes sense you know that we would that we would look at a an acute treatment as something that you know I, i love modern medicine for the fact that you can have your arm cut off in a brutal shark accident and remain alive (laughs) and you can um you can halt a really deadly infection and you can do some incredible things but the, the 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 thing that concerns me is that we seem to be having an increase a major epidemic if you like of um of childhood illness like and and not just one like illness often they get multiple things and uh and it just it breaks my heart because when i grew up in the 80s like you just didn't see this much sickness in children you you saw a few snotty noses and and the usual kind of stuff but um rheumatoid arthritis was not a big thing in in children and all of a sudden it is autoimmune was not a big thing in children and all of a sudden it is so i want to talk about i mean there is so much we can talk about but in terms of um some of the major epidemic concerns you have um which Mm -hmm. sort of led you to functional medicine in the first place because you you just felt that that was about building resilience as much as it is about treating and i get that completely what are some of the ones that you're most concerned with in, in terms of the level and the increases you're seeing um, in the statistics? Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, I mean, there's, there's, I, it's, it's all. Or is it just really, that I mean, everybody's, everything's increasing and that's what we well, need to be worried about? It is. I mean, there are particular um, conditions that are increasing, I think, at a higher proportion. But, you know, the, at least here in the, the United States, uh, one, the statistics are now that at least, at least, one in two kids have some sort of a chronic condition, you know, wow. some sort of a chronic diagnosis. Um, you know, what whether it's something quote mild like eczema or something more, um, you know, more severe like you know multiple sclerosis. But you know, at the rate that we're going, when when you look at projections um, by 2025, which is it's right around the corner. 2025 mm. is you know less than a decade away. You know, by 2025, if we if we go at the rate that we're going, you know, 80 percent, eight in ten kids are going to have some sort of a chronic condition. Oh my and gosh! The, you know, and you know, we see the the rates of autism skyrocketing. When I graduated, you know, from UCSF pediatrics residency back in 2000, um, in the in my three years as a pediatric resident and in, in one of, you know, the um, most highly regarded academic centers in the U.S., like literally I saw one child with autism. Mm-hmm. And I was told if I see a handful of kids with autism in my career, that will be a lot. Wow. And I mean, you know, Fast forward, even just, you know, that was, yeah, five years later, 
you know, when I opened up my, my pediatric practice. And now, almost 20 years later, I mean, it, it is insane mm. the number of kids who have autism or some sort of autism spectrum disorder or sensory processing disorder or behavioral disorder. Um, you know, I can tell you in my child's classrooms, right, my son and my daughter, I mean, that I can point out it's probably at least a third of kids that you see are struggling, struggling, you know, to sit still and be comfortable and not wiggle and can't stay in their own space, can't, you know, are, are scratching at their in, are you know um, are having meltdowns, rolling on the floor. I mean, it's 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 sad. Our classrooms were not like that growing up, mm. right? We didn't. I mean, there may have been maybe one child who was wiggly and had having attention problems, but that was not the norm. And so there, our kids are sick. They're they're you know whether in their you know their entire body, mind, spirit connection is off. And and what I really worry about is this kind of epidemic of autoimmunity. Mm. Um, you know, eczema and asthma are now really in that line of autoimmune illnesses. And we have this sort of autoimmune march. And I see kids at younger, younger ages, you know, with autoimmune illness. I had, um, you know, a six-month-old, a six-month-old mm. girl who was, who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. What? Right. I know. And, you know, Five-year, you know, toddlers with um, juvenile idiopathic arthritis and autoimmune uveitis and you know ulcerative colitis, and now we have an epidemic. In fact, you know, this is one of my areas of of specialties right now, not by choice, but because you know we we need to. You know, this epidemic of something called pandas and pans, which is you know pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syn syndrome, which can be associated with strep, in which case it's called pandas, or it can be associated with uh, you know any number of infections and toxins, where kids have you know these sudden onsets of ticks and anxieties and phobias and OCD behaviors and aggression and, uh, and you know, fears um, triggered in, by these infections or toxins and that trigger an autoimmune encephalitis, right? Wow. A brain inflammation yeah. where literally the body is attacking these poor kids' brains, mm. right? So... So you that's know, really cheery. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> but you know, but there mm. is hope, right? Because we, you know, in on a certain level, actually on a major level, we as a society are creating this. We are causing this in our kids. But we as a society, we can we can reverse this. We can change what's going on so that our kids um, don't have as many of these autoimmune triggers, right? You know, society, our world is so different now and what our kids are experiencing is so different and you know we know many of these factors that are really causing and triggering you know these these autoimmune reactions so you know adults have autoimmunity at, at epi epidemic proportions i mean what adult i mean <laughs> really, if you had a room, you know, go to a party, mm. chances are there are going to be a handful of adults, men and women, who have Hashimoto's, yeah. right? I mean, like, who doesn't have Hashimoto's now? <laughs> it's <laughs> right? so trendy right I, now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, but that shouldn't be, no. right? And when I check our, you know, blood work on, on teenagers, many of them have autoimmune antibodies. And what's shocking for many people, what they don't realize, because they're not getting these routine lab work, lab orders done is you your immune system shows signs of autoimmunity and autoimmune antibodies 
sometimes years mm. before you develop an autoimmune disease. Yeah. Now, and I had a wake up call, you know, my hair was starting to come out. I was stressed. I was tired. You know, I was putting on weight without any change in my diet. Um, and I checked some labs on myself and I had a positive ANA, which is a very non-specific autoimmune marker, mm. right? But what, you know, what was I told by my doctor? Well, it doesn't mean anything. You know, a lot of people have these. It's just, you know, it's low level. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Well, no, we need to worry about it because that's a little red flag saying, pay attention to me. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to get you really sick. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. So what did you do? Um, so, I mean, clean up my diet, yeah. right? Because I was not eating as well, right? So gluten, you got to get rid of gluten if you have any autoimmunity, right? Gluten mm. is one of the biggest autoimmune triggers. Doesn't mean you can never have it. And I will say that, you know, it's, it's not forever, but gluten, you know, so I clean up the gluten in my diet. And one of the biggest things that we don't think about is lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I, I made absolutely sure that I was sleeping at least seven hours at night because yeah. I was going on you know, sometimes three, four, I mean, you know, I mean, we're, we're business owners, right? You're yeah. kind of, you're, you know, you're a mompreneur, right? Yeah. I mean, you, sleep is, is a precious commodity, but it's, it has to be a priority when you're not doing it's well, so right? Important. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, sleep, sleep heals. And so, um, so that was probably one of the biggest things is changing my diet and sleep. I mean, even without supplements, but I did do, I started glutathione to help with detoxification. I upped my fish oils and I was much more regular about my vitamin D and my probiotics. Mm. So not, I didn't do, you know, major intensive work. I just, you know, I just did things that I knew were supporting my immune system and my gut that I had kind of let fall because I was so busy with my, you know, my toddler and my baby and my two to you know businesses <laughs> mm. right yeah absolutely and you know it's such an important point that you bring there when you get the early uh red flag the basic lifestyle changes and some simple supplements is often all one needs to do it's when that's we right. let things go and we ignore it and we think well it's not that much hair that's falling out you know like and <laughs> that's then right. and then woo, woo and then all of a sudden those basic things aren't enough and that's yes. not a place we want to get to if we can avoid it that's right you know we want to pay attention to these little red flags and i mean i've had kids you know i was going over some of my my charts for this presentation on autoimmunity i'm giving and i'm looking back and just thinking to myself oh my gosh right I, you forget some of these shocking things that you that you know have occurred but i remember this one little girl who had autoimmune uveitis and rheumatoid arthritis and years before her diagnosis she had a positive anti-gliadin antibody, which is one of our celiac markers. Oh, okay. she, did, she did not have, though, the, the classic celiac antibody, which is the tissue transglutaminase antibody. Right. Now, I would have looked at that and said, oh, my gosh, this is like a huge red flag. You better stop gluten because your body is starting to develop these antibodies. Well, her GI doctor said, you know what? You don't have celiac disease. You know, your, your tissue transglutaminase is fine. So no need to stop gluten. And then two years later, sure enough, she's diagnosed with autoimmune illness. She's on Remicade. She's, you know, and methotrexate and, you know, and, and so they come to me saying, can you help reverse this? By that point, yes, you can. It just takes a lot more work. Mm, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so 
Right. Yeah. So <laughs> there's just so much to like, so much to take in. Um, so interesting there, you mentioned um, that eczema and mild asthma are in the autoimmune kind of category. Yeah. Do you see those often as um, almost precursors to bigger things ahead when they're in their mildest forms? You know, they can, they absolutely can be. That's such a great question. Um, I mean, first of all, we know that these atopic illnesses, typically it'll be infants that start off with some eczema and then they develop the wheezing and then they develop, you know, the seasonal allergies. So there's this sort of allergic march. Mm. But we do know that, you know, kids with atopic disease are, are have a, a higher proportion um, are going to be um, at risk for ADHD mm-hmm. and for other kind of neuropsychiatric and mood disorders and for autoimmune phenomena. So it's a red flag that this immune this system is dysregulated. Right. And so just and so that we, we don't can... Pay we're going to have... Oh, are you still there, Alyssa? Oh, yeah, I just lost you for a second. I know. Where did you go? Hello? Are you still there? Okay, cool. So you are back. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Do you want to – I'll just get the um, the producer to edit that little bit out. So you want to just start answering the eczema, asthma question to them being a precursor for bigger things to come again? Sorry. Oh, sure. Um, Yes. So, you know, eczema, we know that, you know, for many infants – who have eczema, they will then subsequently develop reactive airway disease and asthma and then march on to developing environmental allergies. So we have this atopic or allergic march that we see, but we also know that kids who have atopic illness are also more likely to have ADHD or other neuropsychiatric illnesses and also more likely later on to have other autoimmune phenomena and other autoimmune diseases. So it is a big red flag. You know, you're a little baby. So I don't want to scare parents. I don't want them to think oh, no, my baby has not. eczema on their cheeks and, and we're having a tough time getting under control that then they're doomed to having this autoimmune illness. Absolutely not. But, you know, we want to go in with knowledge and, and just with the understanding that when your child has eczema, it's a sign to us that their immune system isn't functioning as well as it could. So let's Let's dive right in, mm. get their immune system working, you know, better, get their gut health better because that's intimately connected with your immune health um, so that we can prevent all of these things, you know, downstream. Yeah. So it's just, it's to have, it's to be empowered, yes. right? Not to have fear, but to really know, okay, we have this, we have this knowledge rather than getting stuck in fear, we're going to be proactive and know that we can do something for our baby that's going to help them thrive. Absolutely. And it's also about the reality check that it is not the same as our childhood. I think that's a really big piece of this um, awakening process and it is going to be tough news. And we do unfortunately have to learn more than our parents had to learn about children's health in terms of even biochemistry basics. We've got to learn this stuff because we're dealing with a different generation and a generation that's been exposed through us um, and through our preconception um, phase to many, many environmental toxins, uh, toxins through food, all sorts. So we've just got to be realistic and and learn what we need to learn. And I think from what you're saying there, what I would love to extract at this point is to just build out a basic panel that you would ask for. So let's just say your, your child has eczema or mild asthma um, and we want to make sure we're just checking in with some of those red flags that could 
mean that those are the start of something else down the track. You mentioned yep. the anti-gliadin antibodies. Was that, am I right? Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's a celiac marker. And, you okay. know, before I take kids off of gluten, and I will say that is, you know, I I do recommend that all kids who have immune dysfunction of any sort, um, that they go on a trial off of gluten and dairy, okay. even if there aren't any obvious reactions. I think that's a first kind of must see because that is something that can make a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but before going off of gluten, it is, I, I do like to check to see, you know, is is there celiac disease? Is there underlying celiac? Because if so, then this has to be a lifelong no gluten, right? This mm. it's, it's a huge inflammatory trigger already. Um, if there's not celiac disease, then, then you know, okay, it's not that they can't develop celiac later, but um, that they might um, be able to tolerate some gluten here and there. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, with any immune issue, eczema, asthma, um, you know, anything, you know, we can't separate out. So what modern medicine has done is separate out our, our body systems so that the nervous system is separate from the digestive tract, which is separate from the endocrine system, which is separate from our detoxification systems, which is separate from our immune system. And Mm. you just, you can't separate them out because they're also connected because even, you know, we're finding even illnesses like Alzheimer's or anxiety and depression in kids, those are linked with infections can be linked with infections and immune dysregulation. So it's not just a nervous system issue. And those are all linked with the gut. So all health starts in the gut. So no matter what's going on, even if your child has zero apparent constipation, diarrhea, reflux, bloating, abdominal pain, I always look at the gut. Mm. So I always want to do what's called a comprehensive or a functional stool analysis because I want to know the composition of all of the different bacteria, yeast, parasites, even sometimes viruses in your gut that are causing imbalances. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we, we do know that many gut bacteria are linked with autoimmune phenomena. So I look at the gut, I look at food sensitivities as a reflection of leaky gut, mm-hmm. right? And and if all you did was work on your child's gut and their foods and their diet, you could probably get your child 75, 80% better. Wow. Right? So that's where it's so important. We start with the gut and, you know, and, and the road to immune dysfunction often is, is, um, starting with hits to the gut, mm-hmm. you know, with things like, you know, PPI, antibiotics, yeah. absolutely, mm-hmm. heavy metals, which directly impact our gut, glyphosate or Roundup, which directly causes leakiness in the gut and also directly causes gut dysbiosis or abnormal bugs because glyphosate, Roundup, was initially patented as an antibiotic. Mm. Right. So it's going to kill all of those, you know, good gut bugs. And what most people don't realize is if you're not eating organic foods and your baby is having non-organic formula, um, their gut is likely going to be impacted, you know, Mm. with um, just from the very beginning. Yeah. Right. And I mean, at the end of the day, if you're reading, if you're listening in and you have a three year old child who did take this kind of formula, it's not like, okay, well, that's done. Your lot in life is 
is, you know, you just got to accept it. You can do so much no matter what so age much, the child is. So much. Mm. Yeah. I'm so, you know, such an important point because, you know, as I talk to parents about some of the ways that things could have gone wrong, you know, you sit there and you think about, oh my gosh, mm. I did X, Y, and Z. And what did I do to my child? Yeah. Why didn't I, you know, do, why didn't I do this or why did I do that? And so we can't go back in time. You know, we, you know, if you are getting pregnant again, you'll have more knowledge, but you know, it's never too late to heal. And so we just want to know, okay, what are the things that, where are the tipping points where things went wrong? Because that gives us information on where we want to target our interventions. Yeah. Right. So that's why we go through this exercise of trying to figure out, well, what, what were the factors that, that created this imbalance? Is it because we're, your child is exposed to um, too many heavy metals, maybe in their foods or even aluminum in their vaccines? Or are they having too many food additives, which can create gut imbalance? Mm -hmm. Or are they not getting enough phytonutrients and antioxidants in their diet? We're just trying to assess, we're doing detective work to see what, where are the pieces that went wrong? Because then we know what can we target with diet and supplements and lifestyle to correct those and, and have healing take place. Mm -hmm. um, and I've never talked about vaccination on the show, actually. And in all of our private course groups, we have it as a no, <laughs> a no topic zone because it's just too contentious. It's and so we and end up like polarizing people who are actually on the same mission. And I'm a big That's fan right. of not Absolutely. dividing people. Um, but I will ask this, though, to the point of um, uh, vaccinations, because there are some questionable preservatives used. Um, yeah. If someone wants to vaccinate, what do you feel as a physician is a good uh, strategy to ensure that toxins don't build up over time that might from those vaccinations? Can yeah. I ask you that? And is that not too controversial? No, you can absolutely ask me mm. that. And I don't, you know, I... Um, I also, you know, even in, in the private Facebook group, you know, it's it's just, it's a rule. Mm. We have to have respectful conversations around any topic. And I, and I actually do write, especially about vaccines, mm. because it's such a heated topic. And you're right. I mean, our goal is to have our kids thrive and be healthy and resilient. Um, and, you know, once we start talking about vaccines, it can become so... Um, um, emotional and irrational on, mm. on, on either side. And, and I hate, you know, I don't like to, the idea that there are quote sides. You mm. know, what I tell parents is I am not 100% pro-vaccine. I am not 100% anti-vaccine. What I am is 100% safe vaccine yeah. and 100% pro-child. And we do know it doesn't make any sense to think that vaccines have, have no adverse reactions mm -hmm. and, you know, and no serious adverse reactions because any medication does, right? Mm -hmm. Anything we put into our body can. Yeah. Um, and what really is important, one day we will get to the point where we can really have, um, you know, great uh, sort of vaccigenomics, right? Where we can look to see what our, what our genetic makeup is, our particular genetic SNPs and mutations and how how those are going to interact with all the different additives in the vaccines um, and, you know, create risks for maybe more harm or that this child's detoxification capacities are, are not going to interfere um, and they are going to have fewer reactions to vaccines. That would be great. Even the dosages, right? Because what, what most parents don't realize is that that hepatitis B vaccine, that, you know, 0.5 milliliter vaccine that you're infant gets as a newborn is the very same dosage that a 16 year old would get wowza yeah right and that, that's so, a really that's a, such a logical way to put it and and I, I think um i think 
Yeah, the dosage and the genetic makeup are going to be two huge right. factors. So it's huge factors, right? But there are we there is a phenomena called um, ASIA Asia um, that you know there is a um, a doctor Yoshida Schoenfeld has done a great deal of research on, um, and that stands for autoimmune autoinflammatory syndrome induced by adjuvants, in particular aluminum. And most most vaccines now, you know, the concern years ago had been the mercury. Well. The mercury is, for the most part, out of vaccines, um, but aluminum is used as what's called an adjuvant to, you know, help the immune system uh, mount a more effective response against the infections that they're trying to protect against. Mm -hmm. um, but for some some people, they're going to have an auto inflammatory reaction to the aluminum. Mm -hmm. And this is going to cause some potentially some autoimmune reactions. Mm -hmm. um, so that is that is a, a concern of mine when there is an autoimmune history in the family. So what I do is, you know, I really try to take an individualized approach. It doesn't make sense to have a one size fits, uh, fits all approach to anything. You know, and this is where functional medicine and an integrative approach can really take that individualized, personalized medicine approach, you know, to um, any health condition, any medication, any natural remedy you might use or any vaccine you might, uh, you might give to your child. And so, um, you know, with that, you know, if there's an autoimmune history, I'm much more cautious, um, you know, with vaccines, I do recommend initially my approach is to make sure that when your child gets a vaccine, to make sure that their immune system is in as pristine um, uh, a situation as possible so that they don't have, you know, they're not coming off of a cold, they're not starting to get a fever, um, you know, that they're, that they're, you know, in a healthy place so that, number one, they have a, a, a reduced risk of having any serious reactions to the vaccine. And number two, their immune system isn't occupied with something else like a cold or a flu so that they can mount an effective response to the vaccine and build up antibody protection, protection like we want it to, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one. And typically, you know, especially as I'm starting vaccines on a child, I recommend starting with one vaccine at a time, not giving, you know, the recommended five vaccines to your two-month-old infant. Mm -hmm. And because that serves a couple of things. It, it helps us know if your child is going to have a reaction, exactly which vaccine they had a reaction to. Um, and also so that we, you know, allow our child's immune system to um, address each vaccine one at a time and, again, build up a more appropriate response. Because if we're going to, you know, the idea of giving vaccines is to build antibodies to prevent these infections. And so, you know, if we have a goal in mind, we want the immune system to be able to do that as effectively as possible. Mm. I love so, that advice. And, Thank you. Yeah. And then mm. after vaccines, I mean, just like any, any medication, you know, some of us are not going to be able to clear out the chemicals that are, are um, putting into our, our bodies. And so, you know, just simple ways to practice detoxification, you know, Epsom salt baths, mm -hmm. um, you know, if your child is old or, you know, um, giving them green smoothies with lots of cilantro and chlorella. Mm. Um, if you are, if you're nursing, you can have the green smoothies, yeah. <laughs> right? To, yeah, of course. To your baby. Right. Um, so helping them clear out, you know, from their system, what we don't want to stay, right? Yeah. We don't want that. We don't want the 
polysorbate 80 or the, um, you know, neomycin or the alumina to stay in our kids' bodies. We, we want that to be excreted. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there is a safe and beautifully cautious way to do that. So if, if you're out there yep. and you're thinking, I really do kind of believe in vaccination, I want to do this, but I want to do it in a safe way, then I think that was beautiful explanation as to how we can navigate that. Um, so we've got a lot to talk about. I'm going to move on. Okay. Um, <laughs> we need to do like a 10 part series, don't we? We can talk all night. <laughs> oh, poor Alyssa, it's, it's like evening for you over there, right? Isn't it? Is it That's like 6.30? Okay. Yeah, Peter has the kids, so he's oh, already beautiful. tucked them in, into bed. So I can, I can go home after we talk and have, you know, a nice relaxing evening. <laughs> oh, lovely. Good. Um, so we've talked a little bit there about how to test um, the gluten side of things for your child, getting a stool analysis for their gut. And I just want to finish with eczema, especially because this is something yes. that so many families, yep. I mean, it feels like every second child has eczema these days. And when we were little, there was maybe one kid in the class that might have had it, but just it just wasn't a prevalent thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And you certainly didn't need to have a steroid cream in every medicine cabinet in every home across the country. Yeah. So, um, yes. so, yes. What, so with eczema, yeah, you know, it's it's. I mean, and and it's true. You know, I remember going to you know. Um, when when my daughter was a baby, right? You go to your those mom baby groups, and mm. it seemed like half the kids had rough, raw, red cheeks. Yeah, right. You know, and or, or they had just scaly patches on their all over their legs and arms. Um, and so, you know, when you think about eczema, yes, we're thinking about what is abnormal in the gut. We know that there's a particular probiotic, Colactobacillus rhamnosus, that when given to pregnant moms and nursing moms. Um, if there's a family history of eczema and asthma, that, that to, it significantly reduces the chance that that baby is going to have eczema and asthma. But also giving this particular probiotic to babies who already have eczema um, can be very helpful. So, you know, that's where, again, balancing out the gut microbiome and making sure you're getting in a broad spectrum probiotic, but especially one that has this lactobacillus rhamnosus in it. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about a child with eczema, I'm thinking, you know, what, um, what do they what do they need more of as well? You know, what nutrients is this child probably missing or lacking um, that that uh, can help really uh, balance and heal um, their gut and their immune system? So essential fatty acids, um, omega-3 and a beneficial omega-6 called gamma-linolenic acid is very important when you have eczema. Mm -hmm. So those you would find in your 369 fish oil blend. Yes. Right. Um, zinc is another incredibly important mineral for um, healing of any lining, whether it's your skin or your gut lining, if you have leaky gut. Um, many, many infants are deficient in zinc, which is why one of the changes in starting solids for our kids has been to give animal protein as one of our first foods mm -hmm. because animal proteins are rich in zinc, ah. right? Um, and so, uh, you know, so most babies now are being recognized as being deficient in zinc um, and iron, right? Well, and zinc what do we give them? We give them cereal. That's <laughs> right. No that's sense. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, mm. I, the cereal is out, right? No mm. cereal. That is so 1999. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, making sure that they, they have an, enough of a dietary source of zinc and probably supplementing with a little extra zinc. And what um, does a little extra zinc look like? Because a lot of parents, you know, they want to go and see holistic professionals, maybe budgetary restraint um, in some cases. Sometimes even you live remotely and there just isn't an integrative GP in your town. Yeah, what yeah, can we yeah. do safely ourselves? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one because, you know, zinc, you want to be careful with, with giving your baby too much zinc because you can get, you can overdo it. Mm. Um, but, you know, for, a you know, a little a, a baby with eczema, um, if you found some drops um, that you could perhaps give maybe, you know, five milligrams of zinc, and that's a small amount, right? Now, zinc doesn't taste very good, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but, but yeah, that's certainly something you could try. Um, there are some zinc sulfate creams, topical zinc, that might be helpful as well. Um, you can certainly do a 369 fish oil. I, you know, I give, um, you know, fish oil even to, um, even to um, you know, one month olds, right? So you could do that, maybe um, a milliliter or two milliliters, you know, to uh, a baby. Um Vitamin D is also very important for immune balancing and also for the skin. Um, and most babies are going to be deficient in vitamin D. I mean, the recommendation, at least here in the U.S., is for all breastfed babies to get supplemented with 400 IUs of vitamin D3. Wow. Now, so why not formula-fed babies? Because there's vitamin D in formula. Uh-huh. But this doesn't—it doesn't make any sense, right, Alex? When you're thinking about know, why, I'm, I'm why like, only huh? breastfed babies, right? Yeah. Because you know, breast milk should be the perfect food yes. for your baby. So what's right? going on? Right. So evolutionarily, shouldn't breast milk have all the vitamins and the minerals you need? Well, yes, but the fact is that most mothers are deficient, uh-huh. right? Most mothers are going to be too low in their vitamin D during pregnancy and, and during nursing. They're, they're going to be too low in their zinc and their iron. So, I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons why breastfed babies tend to, you know, also not have enough. Mm. And so I absolutely, if you're, if you're a breastfed mama, I want to make sure that you're getting enough vitamin D and zinc and, and essential fatty acids, you know, from fish oils mm. um, so that you're giving all of it and probiotics, right? Nursing moms should absolutely take probiotics so that your babies are getting all of that through you, and then you can supplement more for your baby if they need it after yeah. that. Okay, gotcha. And this is this actually reminds me of a conversation I had about um, coming off the pill with a wonderful practitioner, um, uh, Francesca Naish, on the show mm-hmm. a few shows ago, and she talked about the deficiencies that um, that are clinically shown to happen from long-term pill use. And what happens is a lot of people come off the pill to get pregnant. They come That's off right. the pill with deficiencies. They get pregnant. Yes. Baby saps even more of our good stuff from us because we're growing the baby. And then breastfeeding, like, times it by 100. Like, it's, yep. not, it's not hard to see how these things can can become so normal that we have these deficiencies these days. That's right. Well, mm. and, you know, and also the, the fact remains, I think, you know, what, what had been, you know, really um, um, thought of as our daily minimum requirements, well, first of all, we know those RDAs and RDIs are really the, the minimum you need to not be sick, right? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> we, exactly. We don't, we don't want to live on the border of not being sick, right? We want to be thriving, right? <laughs> Um, <laughs> Such a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, with um, you know, with 
our lifestyles and, and this day and age where we're bombarded with so many things that our immune system and our detoxification systems have to work with. I mean, we are using up all of our minerals and vitamins at a much faster rate. So we need more, you know, often even with supplementation um, than, than we anticipate. And, you know, this is, I, I remember when I was pregnant, you know, trying to, you know, get pregnant with my daughter. I mean, I was so fanatical about optimizing my vitamin D levels, mm-hmm. right? And by optimizing, I mean getting getting my vitamin D levels up to you know sixty or eighty, um, and um, and I was taking vitamin D supplements throughout pregnancy and throughout nursing, and so you know I thought, okay, well I should be in pretty good shape for you know trying to have our son. Well, I checked my prenatal labs just to make sure I was at a good starting point, and my vitamin D levels were at a seventeen. I mean they were oh my. so Oh, goodness. Oh, I couldn't believe that my bones weren't aching. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this was after being pregnant and nursing, yet taking supple- supplementation, right? It just, you know, just whatever stressors my body was undergoing and, and you know, the day-to-day kind of needs, I mean, it just, it wasn't enough. So yeah. I which do explains think- why so many people get cavities around that time in life as yeah. women as well. That's right. That's mm. right. And the gingivitis and all of that. Mm. So if you, if you can, you know, get your, get your levels measured, but if not, make sure, you know, when you're pregnant and nursing that you are taking a really high quality multi, you're taking, you know, at least 5,000 IUs of vitamin D. I mean, I needed more than that, Mm -hmm. that you're taking iron and, you know, probably a little extra zinc doesn't hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now let's move on to something else that seems to be ridiculously common in our kids today, which is asthma. And to varying degrees, there are some people with mild asthma, some people with really life-threatening situations, rush to hospital kind of stuff. And while, um, while it's very useful to have things like Ventolin in these situations, I want to talk about what the long game is in decreasing severity. Sometimes it can't be completely cured, but um, and I, I think the word cure is an overpromise of the internet, frankly, sometimes when yeah. we're talking about uh, illnesses. But I do think, uh, and there is a lot of research to suggest, so I'm so keen to see what you have experienced in your clinic and um, with the kids that you've treated over the years, that there is a lot that can be done to um, either completely remove the need for Ventolin um, in the milder cases uh, or drastically reduce the severity of attacks so that at least it's not a panic situation for families yes. if yes. that's stress. So talk us through what um, what your advice is here. Yes, there is so much you can do. And even for kids with severe asthma, you know, we've been able to work. Now, it takes work. You know, when you're trying to get, you know, kind of a root cause approach um, and really, you know, heal from the inside out, it takes work on the part of the child, on the part of the family, and usually that means mama, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You know, changing things around, but um, it takes work and it takes time. So it's not a quick fix. And that's where we do have to change our mindset as well, because, um, you, know, we're, we, you know, we're so used to in conventional medicine of these quick fixes and, you know, feeling better instantly. Um, and we're, when we're looking at functional medicine and root cause medicine, it's, it, you know, it, it takes time and it takes time for your body to relearn how to be healthy Mm. right Um, and so so I don't you know I don't want parents to feel discouraged if they're trying some natural uh, treatment approaches if 
the first one or two or three attacks, your child needs the Ventolin mm. and they need the steroid inhaler because, you know, it may take time to get off, but that absolutely can happen, right? Okay. So I'm not quick to immediately remove the meds, but but that is that is the ultimate goal. And you know, the ultimate goal for me is I would love to have kids never need steroids, mm. right? Um, because we see that impacts growth. In fact, I had this one adult, you know, this one dad who had been on so many steroids his entire life for asthma, yeah. inhaled steroids and oral steroids. That at the you know at the age of know his late 30s early 40s he had such severe osteoporosis that he had had multiple vertebral fractures oh my goodness and was not able to play basketball with his kids or go skiing with his kids for fear of breaking bones wowza right so you know we don't want that happening so we can actually you know help prevent the use of those steroids um, so that's typically my first goal and then the next goal is you know reducing the severity of the attacks so that they don't need as much of the ventolin yeah. um, but even with with asthma we start with the gut with asthma they have to go off dairy mm-hmm. i mean that's just in the number one dairy and you know gluten is a big factor but we i do check for food sensitivities i do blood testing to help guide you know what other foods may be inflammatory triggers yeah uh, you know, and, and looking at the gut, but so we're looking at food sensitivities, the same omega-3, 6, 9 fish oils and the probiotics that we you know, mentioned with the eczema, really important. But, you know, for kids with asthma in particular, we know that in their, in the lungs of kids with asthma, they uh, compare with kids without asthma and adults with asthma, they have lower levels of glutathione and lower levels of magnesium. Mm. Magnesium is the miracle mineral, right? I mean, magnesium is amazing. And it's it's a mineral that the vast majority of people, kids and adults are deficient in. But what does magnesium do? Magnesium relaxes your muscles, right? I mean, that's it, it just helps everything to relax, which is why it's so helpful for constipation and for muscle soreness and, and you know, for wheezing, because what happens in wheezing are the, the bronchial muscles start to spasm, and that's what causes the wheezing. So you have the spasm of the bronchioles, and then you have the mucus production. The mucus production oftentimes is from the eczema, uh, sorry, from the dairy. Um, so we, we need to combat both, um, both things that are going on. But I get all my kids um, with asthma on magnesium supplements. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and that goes a long way in reducing the severity of their flares. Um, and when they are flaring, you know, when they are having a, an asthma attack, I'll get parents up the magnesium, immediately get them into an Epsom salt bath mm. because Epsom salts are magnesium sulfate. Yeah. And so when the kid is having that, that you know, starting to get a little tight in the chest and starting to feel a little wheezy, throw them into the um, Epsom salt bath. Not only are you going to enhance their magnesium levels, you are going to enhance their glutathione levels, which also thins mucus, mm. right? So, so we have all of these great benefits. So I have, typically have my kids with asthma on extra magnesium supplements and extra glutathione supplements right. in addition to their, uh, their 369 fish oils um, and and their probiotics and their D. Um, so those are just some things that you can you know play around with and see. I mean, those supplements are pretty easy to get. Um, glutathione is a tricky one. You know, you want to get a good liposomal glutathione that's going to be easy to absorb. But again, you know, Epsom salt baths are a way to 
kind of increase naturally your glutathione levels and your magnesium levels. Mm, brilliant advice there. And I just know so many people just don't even realize that there's stuff you can start to work on. You just think, oh, I've Absolutely. got asthma, so this is what I need to do to treat it with. And yep. unless you really either have a friend who thinks out of the box and sees a holistic practitioner or um, or like me when I had recurrent tonsillitis over and over and over again and I was on the absolute strongest yes. dose of antibiotic yep. you could possibly be on before I kind of went, you know what, this is not working. Yep. Nothing's yep. getting better and I need to yep. try and seek it. Like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you get to the pits right. of the situation before you – strike a little flame of curiosity and um mm-hmm. and to just be able to bring this information to people so that they don't have to wait that long and wait until things get that's really right. really bad that's right such well and gift. during during the flight during an asthma attack too i mean we, we talked in the low tox kids video about other you know natural remedies that can be we can use in our toolkit and mm. you know we talked about essential oils acupressure points homeopathy all of those in that acute attack so incredibly helpful. Mm. Uh, you know, so the acupuncture points and acupressure points that I mentioned, the large intestine 11 is fantastic, you know, for that, that, the, to help with coughing and wheezing and getting whatever toxins out that need to come out. Um, you know, you, you're going to want to use a lavender to help with the spasms and the inflammation. Um, and where would you, know, you use the lavender oil? So you can use that on the large intestine 11 point that I mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can also, you know, what I like to do is make a little kind of um, essential oil rub. So you can, you know, uh, dilute your essential oil into a carrier oil like coconut oil um, and add. Now, if you if your child is older, I mentioned some precautions with essential oils you have to dilute. But um, thyme essential oil is fantastic for breaking up mucus. So you might do a blend, you know, of um, thyme essential oil maybe lavender essential oil. Um, uh, you might do pep- uh, peppermint or eucalyptus to open up the passageways. This is going to be for your older kids, you know, probably some toddlers, not in infants. Um, it's a little strong for them. On infants, you can put it on their feet. But if you do this, make this rub, and then you start at the point, if you have your, if you, um, uh, have your collarbone, right? Imagine where your collarbone is. And you start at the underneath your collarbone in the uh, under the inner edge of your collarbone, and you rub out to your shoulder blade, to the outer edge of your collarbone. Yeah, of course right. I'm going, doing this right now. As that's you're right, that's it. right. Yeah. You're going from kidney, you know, kidney 27 and lung 1 are those two points on, underneath the inner edge of your collarbone and in the hollow of your shoulder underneath the outer edge of your collarbone. And you just do that lymphatic massage um, you know, underneath with your oils, and that can make a huge difference too in relieving the cough and the tightness and the spasm. Fantastic! I'll pop a little um, uh, uh, link to acupressure points so that people can find those yes. um, those lymphatic yep. Yep. points in the show notes, um, just in case anyone found it hard to visualize. Yep. Um, and like, can we just come back to eczema for a sec? Because yeah. um, I. Uh, we didn't really talk so much about um, how we replace the steroids. And I would yes. like to do that because I think a yes. lot of people feel uncomfortable using them long term. Brilliant in an acute situation. If you just need to get that kid to stop scratching their face, especially babies where we can't communicate with them yet um, in a meaningful way, but you know, you just mm-hmm. sometimes it's necessary. But what's our long game for eczema in terms of um, holistic therapies that we can start to help build up the skin um, a little bit more. 
Yeah. Topically. So, you know, we mentioned that, you know, the, the 369 fish oils, the zinc, the probiotics, and the D, you know, as kind of cornerstones. So that's what we're taking. Yeah, exactly. That's what you're taking mm-hmm. and you're eliminating, you know, reactive foods and cleaning up the gut. Now, topically, um, you know, there there's some things that you can use now because really for parents, when your kids have eczema, it's not even the appearance, right? Mm-hmm. It's the it's the itching, mm. right? It, it's just watching your kids be miserable and scratching all night and sometimes to the point of bleeding. And that's what parents want to stop, right? They want to help, you know, really get rid of this itch. Mm. And so, um, so you know, we want to use calendula, you know, which is marigold to help with the skin healing, kill off any bacteria that might be colonized on the skin and, and worsening the itching. Um, there are some great homeopathic medicines, you know, just for straight up itching. We know, I mean, the itching is going to be um, mediated by a histamine, mm, right? Yeah. So, which is why a lot of parents would do the Benadryl. But rather than that, you know, you can use um, their... Uh, um, is uh, a supplement called quercetin, which is great for um, as a histamine um, stabilizer, mm-hmm. right? And it's a wonderful antioxidant. It helps helps the immune system, reduces inflammation, helps with gut healing. So it has a lot of added benefits um, than just kind of straight up Benadryl, right? Yeah. Um, so that helps with the itching and the scratching that then makes the eczema worse. Um, and then there's also homeopathic histaminum. I had mentioned homeopathic histaminum. Oh, yeah, we talked about it in the Lotox Kids, yeah. That's right, that's right, um, where um, uh, homeopathically diluted histamine can help prevent the histamine release and can work wonders for the itching, Amazing. right? And that should be, and that's something that, you know, Boiron makes, a homeopathic mm-hmm. manufacturer. Um, and, and if you have access to homeopathic medicines, it should be something that you can get. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And so all of these things, like we're working on them, we're treating them, we're um, holistically supporting our bodies to heal. But do you have some more uh, ideas around building um, a greater sort of general resilience in our kids that we haven't talked about yet? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the I, I talk about um, uh, a lot, and I actually have a little ebook on the five steps to a healthy, happy child. But there are some foundations mm-hmm. to um, really having a thriving, resilient child. Um, and, you know, there, and there are various steps. So, you know, the first step is really getting in all of the right ingredients. We have to think about, you know, putting in only the highest quality ingredients in our children, just like we think of only putting in the most premium gasoline, right? Yes. In our, our cars, right? That and is such kids, a great analogy. People will use like the super <laughs> clean, unleaded, um, premium unleaded petrol, and that's then, right. Wow. And then we don't think about what we're putting in our bodies that way. Brilliant that's analogy. Right. That's right. Mm. So, you know, we want to make sure that only, only the best things get in, right? Mm. That's really key. So that means that you, you prioritize what you're feeding your kids, right? This is like, we don't skimp on that, right? You can, you know, you can give up your latte and just make sure that your yeah. kids are having, you know, a diet full of phytonutrients, those minerals and vitamins, you know, and those colorful fruits and vegetables are going to go a long way in healing and supporting your child's immune system um, and, and their guts, right? 
right? So we get in phytonutrients, we focus on organic foods, at least, you know, focusing on the environmental working groups, dirty dozen, and making sure that those are, are organic. Mm-hmm. So we're not eating the foods that are, that are most heavily sprayed. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting in all those healthy, good fats to nourish our children's brain um, and, and also getting in all of those good, healthy, um, organic, wild, you know, uh, uh, meats so that we have those amino acid building blocks, right? You can't build a house, a sturdy house on sand, right? You are not going to build a resilient child on a weak foundation, mm-hmm. right? So we need, we need that foundation to be as strong as possible. Yeah. Right. Um, And then, you know, we also want to think about keeping out the things that aren't serving our children. Um, And, you know, the things that we want to keep out are, you know, what we mentioned, right? Any of those processed foods that are full of, you know, pesticides and uh, food additives for our kids who are having um, any um, uh, emotional, you know, sensory issues, behavioral issues, a little bit of anxiety. We need to really focus on as much as possible keeping out the artificial flavors, preservatives, and dyes. I don't know if in Australia you have the same uh, requirements as in the EU, but in the European no, unfortunately, right? we're a mini America when it comes to oh, food gosh. additives. Yeah, that's that's a shame, right? Yeah. Because you know, in the European Union, any food that has you know these particular artificial preservatives. And dyes has to have a warning label Mm -hmm. that that food may have an adverse effect on activity and attention in children, Mm. right? So we don't have those same restrictions in America. I mean, it's all about the most colorful, you know, foods and and candy. Let's make it fun and exciting. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So those those foods are literally, I mean, you know, are are poison to our kids' brains, right? And I'm not going to say my child has never had a Skittle or an M&M, right? But, you know, if your child is having behavioral issues or attention issues, we want to be really mindful and pay attention. How much are these affecting your child, right? Um, So keeping out the, you know, the heavy metals and the endocrine disorders disruptors and the other toxins. So that's part of it. You know, the next step is really nurturing this gut-brain connection, intimately connected, right? We can't have a healthy um, brain and emotions if we don't have a healthy gut. Right. You know, and many people don't realize that the, the vast majority, maybe 80, 90% of the neurotransmitters that support our, our brains, serotonin, which is our feel-good relaxation hormone, and dopamine, which is our reward motivation focus and attention neurotransmitter, 80 to 90% of those are made by our gut microbes, right? They're made in our gut lining. And so we need to make sure that our gut is protected with probiotics and healthy foods and fermented foods, right? If your kid can can tolerate and enjoy those fermented foods. And then, you know, the final steps really are, you know, I think some of the most important steps that we can take is is prioritizing our lifestyles and and slowing down. Yay, right? I'm so glad you're you mentioning know, this. I mean, this is when when we think about kids, you know, there's a there's a program uh, um, a program called the 5R program to healing a leaky gut, which include, you know, removing what's kind of irritating to our our gut, replacing what's missing like digestive enzymes, uh, repairing the gut lining with things like omega-3 fatty acids, re Inoculating and repopulating with things like probiotics. Well, it used to be called the 4R program. Now it's called the 5R program because the fifth R is the rebalancing, what I call restoring, right? Restoring the body, mind, spirit connection. And in my mind, it's this fifth R 
that if you don't have in place, your child may get better and they may actually go into remission from whatever is ailing them, but they're not going to stay there, right? They're going to keep going back and having flares. So, or you have kids where you keep, keep chipping away and keep adding more supplements or changing diet and doing this and that, but they're not getting to that final step of true health. And it's the fifth R that they, that they need to get them there, right? So this is, I, I can't emphasize enough how important this is for a resilient child. You have to slow down and you have to model that you can slow down as a parent, right? That you are prioritizing sleep, that you're prioritizing, prioritizing out side time, time in nature and exercising and moving your body. Yeah. Right. I mean, these are so key. I mean, and we can't just pay lip service to it. We have to show kids that, that we are doing this. And I know I'm not the best model for my kids at times. Right. But well, we can't, but, it's not about all the time as well. Right? Not all the time. Yeah, that's right. It's about the balance. Right. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and part of that is helping our kids learn how to manage their stress and their worries, not ignore them, right? Our job as parents is not to make our kids feel happy all the time. Our job as parents is to help parents, our kids understand how to be happy and resilient and overcome, you know, failures and hard times and, you know, overcome challenges. Absolutely. yeah. So that's what helps them. And that's what helps our, their bodies to stay healthy, mm. right? Because this stress, if our children don't know how to manage their stress proactively and positively, that stress is going to build up and create inflammation just as much as any infection or any food or any toxin is going to. Mm-hmm. So we need to think about emotions as as much of a toxic stressor as anything else we're putting into our bodies, mm. right? And so I give parents concrete tools on how to do that for their kids. There are some great apps that they can use, you know, for mindfulness and meditation to teach kids easy, easy ways to do that. Um, there are great books. Um, one of my favorite books is called What to Do When You Worry Too Much oh. by, by a child psychologist. Her name is Dawn Hubner, H-U-E-B-N-E-R, and she teaches kids. These are self-help books for kids um, to learn cognitive behavioral techniques to manage Mm -hmm. their worries, right? And, you know, I mean, she doesn't doesn't call them CBT techniques in her books, but these are (laughs) fun exercises. Come on, little Timmy. I know, right? Um, but those and th- these are what you know the the tools of what to do when you worry too much. I use them, mm-hmm. right? So the what to do when you worry too much, you know, those that's meant for kind of younger kids to so maybe your preteen kid. And she just came out with a book called Outsmarting Worry, which is more for the older child, the kind of preteen teenage kid who wants a little bit more in depth, like what's going on with my brain when I'm worried, and and you know how can these tools help me, mm. right? So. It's so, so valuable know. in a time where, um, unfortunately, you know, this catch-22 that we're in, that the media responds to what people respond to, and that seems to be right. all this fear-based stuff and us literally feeling like our world is a po- falling apart. And right. while environmentally I, I would tend to agree <laughs> that it is yeah. and we really need to do something, 
you know, the statistics show that we're actually living in the safest time in history. Um, And yet our kids are more worried and we are more worried than ever before for our safety. And I think that's That's a really massive thing that we need to address. So it's great to learn about that book. I'm so going to look that up. I'll pop it in the show notes for everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Those, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're a staple, Mm. (laughs) I think, and they should be a staple in every household and, and the apps too. I mean, there, there are apps like, um, you know, breathe for kids. There is a breathe for adults, but there's a specific app, you know, called breathe for kids. That's amazing. kind of story form teaches kids you know breath work and mindfulness and how to breathe I mean I can't tell you the number of kids who don't know how to breathe Mm. you know do that that really you know deep belly breathing breathe with their diaphragm and not with their shoulders and already you know by the time kids are in preschool and elementary school they're breathing with their shoulders and they don't know how to how to get those big deep relaxing belly breaths in yeah, and it's something that, you know, if you can even head to a parent and child yoga clinic every now and then and anything, you know, and yeah. make it an activity and a fun learning experience together instead of this thing that we have to get our kids to do. Because often, oh, like if we if we start to add everything up, we won't think, God, this sounds like one huge to-do list and I'm never going to mm-hmm. get there and I can't be perfect. That's right. So, and you know what? Like for kids, what I tell parents, you do not need a fancy app. You don't need a book. You don't need, uh, you know, to go somewhere to do mind to teach your kids how to be mindful and meditate. You know, kids meditate when they're telling stories. Just have them tell a story, right? That you know, that's that is mindfulness for a child, right? It's making up a story, you know, or just spend, you know, a minute looking at something. Pick up a flower from, you know, from the garden and just have them notice how it smells how it feels in their hands, you know, all the colors they see as they're looking into the flower, um, you know, what they hear around them, maybe the wind rustling in the leaves, um, using all of their senses in those one or two minutes. And that's mindfulness right there. Mm. Right. So you just what, what we're just trying to do for ourselves and for our kids is to learn how to just stop and, you know, be present in that moment. And you can do that wherever you are. I mean, you don't need anything else, you know, but your five senses. But it really means stopping, putting down your phone, you know, getting rid of all the distractions and, you know, really, really sitting in your body for a few minutes and, you know, and paying attention. Mm. Right. And, and, you know, it's 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 simple. It sounds simple. It is simple, but it's not always easy. Right. Because we're, we're so not used to that. We're so not used to just stopping and really noticing and but as you're saying this to me I'm remembering walking with my little guy and then I think of seeing parents on the street with their little children yeah all of us going come on hurry up sweetie hurry up come on come on come on come on come on (laughs) they're actually desperately trying to stop and notice everything (laughs) that's actually their innate wisdom saying I want to stop I want to look at this I want to check it out I want to spend some time and we're like, no, go, go, go. (laughs) We're literally trying to knock it out of them. It's so true. And we could learn so much from watching our, our, you know, little Buddha babies, right? Our, Our toddlers, because, you know, when you notice what I am always astounded by when I see a, a baby and a toddler is their posture is perfect 
they are sitting upright, you know, with that amazing flow of blood and oxygen, you know, to their brains, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, and, and they are using their belly to breathe, right? They're not sucking in their gut, you know, trying mm. to look svelte, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and they're just naturally kind of sitting there and, and looking around and exploring, right? Mm. And that's, that's how we should all be. And somewhere along the way, kids lose it. And, and invariably, you know, by the time they're in second grade, third grade, they come in, their shoulders are hunched over, they're slouching on the table, you know, they're breathing with their shoulders, and their head and neck are completely out of alignment, they're jutted forward, because that's what they're doing when they're on their screens or reading, you know, looking at their computers, they're not in that, that normal position where we naturally breathe normally mm. and use our bellies to breathe. We can't, you can't do a belly breath if you're hunched over. Mm. <laughs> no. And yeah. you're Right. Yeah, so true. Um, now, I, I'm going to wrap things up. I'm conscious of people's time, your time. Yeah. We've been chatting for <laughs> ages. Uh, but I do want to ask this because in 2018, as we're chatting right now, if you're a parent and you want to look to the internet to try and solve some sort of problem or at least start to find some tools, connect with some blogs or research papers or, you know, anything to do with something that you're experiencing in your family medically. Yeah. yeah. Um, it seems to be like an impossible task to get a definitive answer on anything. And that could simply be because different people have found different ways to solve the same problem. I mean, yes. Look at Ayurveda versus Chinese medicine versus, you know, all the different um, ways you can, you can work on an issue in the body. But do you have any advice for, um, for parents, uh, especially around um, what to ignore. Like I, I notice m one of my top tips, I'll start off, I'll start us off here yeah. is have they shared any research papers or linked back to uh, an actual practitioner or physician or somebody who has used what they're saying works in clinical practice of some kind, whether it be holistic or conventional um, because yes. quite often, you know, like people start whole blogs and this is the truth off the back yes, of just I know. copy pasting stuff off Pinterest and that's yes. not useful. So yeah. what are some yeah. of your tips in um, internet well, navigation? Yeah, so I always look at, um, you know, who the person is, you know, mm -hmm. what is their background, what is their experience? And there are some, I mean, I will say I've, I found some amazing, you know, um, mommy bloggers, right, who oh, don't absolutely. have a health background. But because of their experience with their child's eczema yeah. or with their child's, you know, ADHD, they become experts mm. and, you know, are really, you know, so knowledgeable. But, you know, I always what, you know, what should be, um, I think, uh, kind of uh written as a disclaimer outright is that they're not health practitioners they're mm. not recommending certain treatments right they're not they're not you know giving exact dosages right because that you know a lot of times I mean that really does require a more personalized approach right mm. so I don't you know I, I shy away from sites that make you know absolutes yeah. um, and and make make a lot of health claims and uh, recommendations without, um, you know, having a lot of clinical experience, right? Mm -hmm. I think you could, I think, you know, for a lot of blogs, the, the value is in providing the information and opening people's eyes that there are other ways and then, you know, help, hopefully, you know, helping parents and, and um, the public um, figure out maybe 
what kind of a practitioner would be the best one for them to pursue next. Um, the problem is, though, right, not everyone has a, has access to those practitioners. So yeah. that's where we are. We rely on a lot of internet information. Mm. So that's where, yes, making sure that there are some citations for publications, for research to back up claims, yeah. right? And there are some great bloggers who, you know, scour PubMed and, mm. you know, yeah. the, the different research databases and have amazing information that, that, you know, that I find new and fascinating, mm -hmm. right? Um, so if you can back it up with evidence, right, and or back it up with, with experience, yeah. right? Because there's a lot to be said for experience, even for, you know, physicians I want to know or, or healthcare practitioners, I want to know that they have the, the um, clinical, you know, experience cases, whether it's your own child or whether it's multiple patients to back up that, that what they're recommending or saying is actually, actually works also in real life. Yeah. Right. And when we think about evidence-based medicine, uh, you know, that evidence-based medicine, that term is kind of thrown around very loosely. Mm. And when you look at the you look at the true definition of evidence-based medicine, and in fact, evidence-based medicine, right, that term is often thrown around by um, by folks who are trying to um, undermine integrative and functional medicine yes, work. Yes, agreed. Right? I mean, look at Dr. Um, Shoemaker with SIRS. Yep, uh, he yep. treated like thousands and thousands of people documented all of the inflammatory markers, all of the steps on the protocol that then reduce those inflammatory markers and yet still isn't able to achieve scientific recognition for his work. And that's right. That's it just, right. It, it bugs me so much that that's I the know, world we I live know. in because I thought yep. the whole essence of science, the spirit of science was that new things can be discovered and proven. That's how it's always worked. That's right. Well, I mean, the you know, I it's so true. I mean, I think what I'm grateful for is that there is a growing movement of mm. physicians who are are you know, kind of fed up with the current system of healthcare and are are really pursuing additional training in functional medicine and integrative work. Um, but really, you know, when we when you become a healthcare practitioner, when you become a physician, I I would hope it's it's because of this, you know, pursuit of scientific knowledge and scientific inquiry and realizing that there's so much more to be learned, right? Mm -hmm. Once we stop, you know, pursuing, you know, more knowledge and, and understanding, you know, that the more we know, the more we realize we don't know, <laughs> yeah. right? Then we stop being the best healthcare practitioners for our patients, right? Mm -hmm. And and when we look at the definition of evidence-based medicine, you know, the definition of evidence-based medicine includes, and I actually I just pulled it up because I want I love to read this to to families. Evidence-based medicine is the conscientious, explicit, judicious, and reasonable use of modern best evidence in making decisions about the care of individual patients. Evidence-based medicine integrates clinical experience and patient values mm. with, with the best available research information. So it is evidence-based medicine is not just about what's in the literature. Yes. It's also about you as a clinician, your experience and the values and you know that your patients hold and how do we integrate those to provide the best care for our patients mm -hmm. right so it, it has to incorporate all of that 
Um, and so, you know, this is where if you don't, you may not necessarily have all the quote evidence because sometimes, frankly, the research isn't there. Yes. Right. There well, and then be. it's hard to get independent studies done on things that That's don't right. benefit certain companies <laughs> without right. going into too much of um, uh you know, uh, talk about the pharmaceutical model, but that's the, <laughs> but that's yeah. the truth. You know, if, yeah. if a yeah. big company with huge profits that doesn't have the cash to spend on the study, there's a lot. It's going to be a lot harder to get that study off the ground. That's right. Mm. So sometimes we have sort of theoretical, you know, um, theoretical ideas, and you know, kind of research that may not be that's more kind of theoretical biochemical research that. The, to show that these interventions could be helpful, and then you know we have our clinical experience. So if you have a, if you have you know someone a practitioner who doesn't have a lot of re, quote research, but has you know some evidence that these particular interventions may be helpful, and also evidence that these interventions aren't going to be harmful. Mm-hmm. And then clinical experience that that it works, and that also I, I love you know finding um, practitioners and bloggers who pro, you know s- propose that kind of information and mm. not necessarily just just the published research. Yeah, love it. I think that's great, and it's just yeah. Again, it's about really auditioning people and websites and and using your critical thinking and thinking have they got enough experience to back this up whether it's been anecdotal whether they tried something and then thousands of people in their community tried something and my gosh it's actually really working for all these families with eczema or something you know we don't need to always wait until it's a concrete study i love that distinction yeah Yeah. um Alyssa, what a what a (laughs) what a huge (laughs) chat we've just had um (laughs) because uh for those of you who are listening right now we we also recorded back-to-back low-tox kids um, because Alyssa has <laughs> shared some incredible home remedies for things like earaches and fevers and all those kinds of things. Um, so we have literally been chatting for nearly three hours. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and our voices held up. So. I know. Well, well played. That's um, right. Thank you so much for your time. Can you just share a little bit about what you're excited that you're working on? I know you've got a brilliant course uh, that is just a wonderful place to point uh, parents to that I'll have in the show notes. What else is happening? Well, so gosh, I mean, this is, you know, Are you my... doing the Thrive Summit again this year? Yes, and Woo-hoo! I'm going to have you on it. <laughs> but I have some great ideas for how the Thriving Child Summit can be even better this year because, um, you know, I hosted the Thriving Child Summit in 2016 and 2017, and they were incredible um uh, incredibly um, packed with information uh, ranging from, you know, functional medicine treatments for anxiety and ADHD and autism and eczema to mind-body medicine for kids and nutrition for kids, detoxification. So, I mean, I, and, it's, you know, so much information brought so much value um, and I want to keep doing that. I mean, that's my passion, right? I have I have my private, you know, whole integrative holistic pediatric practice, but I can only see so many kids in a day and only so many kids in a year, um, and only so many kids who can come to see me, you know, here in California. So, um, you know, as, as I, you know, kind of have, have, um, uh, really become more established in the practice, we get calls from parents. I mean, I've seen parents, you know, from, from India, from the Philippines who have flown to see me, but that's just not practical or feasible financially and time-wise for, for many folks. And so, you know, I started Healthy Kids, Happy Kids, my online blog to try to get my, you know, 
years of clinical experience and knowledge out there, right? So people, parents knew, okay, here's a place where I can go to with trusted information from, you know, board certified pediatrician to get more comfortable branching out, maybe talking to my pediatrician about, you know, hey, what about, what about trying fish oil, <laughs> right? You know, when my child has eczema, right? Um, or what about trying this homeopathic medicine, right? Um, so with that, um, you know, my goals are, you know, yes, a thriving child summit, um, and I have my everyday holistic pediatrics course to help parents navigate natural remedies for acute illnesses. But my my next goals are to work on more chronic care, right? So so having courses for parents to learn how to, as as we've spoken today, you know, treat kids from an integrative standpoint um, for their eczema or their asthma or their ADHD. So what we talked about, but an even bigger dive and more really practical um, tips on what dietary changes, what supplements, you know, what, you know, what lifestyle changes need to be made to, to heal your kids. So I'm super excited about that too, to work on those. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Once again, I've got all of your details in today's show notes. Um, and you're a brilliant page to follow as well, because you do some really generous lives on Facebook. Um, that's been, yeah, (laughs) they're just so great. And I love seeing the conversations that unfold underneath in the threads and, so if, you, if you're a parent who's concerned about these modern um, childhood epidemics, if you're affected directly or you know someone who is, please connect them to uh, Dr. Alyssa Song's work because it is vital work to come um, to, to have in the mix. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and I will say it can be as you're embarking on this, you know, more holistic journey, it can feel like a lonely road, right? Because mm. you may not have friends or family who are interested in the same journey and you may be feeling like, you know, in your town, you're the only one who really thinks that eating organic is important. Mm, Yeah, you're Um, the hippy dippy one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so the other place that's such a great resource that I've been so thrilled to be able to um, create is, is the Thriving Child private Facebook community, Mm. which was really started just initially as a Facebook community, you know, for um, when the Thriving Child Summit was going on. But it's just, it's, it's grown like wildfire. I mean, it's Mm. like these, these families from all over the world, you know, these are practitioners and parents and grandparents and teachers who um, are so invested in exploring natural holistic ways of living for their kids, but don't necessarily have a community. And so now this it's like this virtual community and we're getting to know so many people and asking questions and, you know, getting support from other families. So well, uh, it becomes know, a I, huge research pool as well, doesn't it? Yeah, because people are sharing what's right. working. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I learned so much and it's so great to be able to, you know, offer offer that and be pop in and, and you know, share some of my you know experiences as well. So I, it's been amazing. I, it's it, it warms my heart to, you know, see this community build, you know, kind of internationally and virtually. Right. That we can mm. support each other in that way. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much once again. And thank you for the beautiful work you do. Such a special oh, human. So- Thank you for bringing this out there and then being so, you know, having your podcast and your, your courses and, and being such a, such an incredible healthpreneur and mompreneur, <laughs> you know, and, and you, right, having such spirit and then, you know, and, and energy to do this. <laughs> oh, we need to get it out there. We, we can't yes. have these kids growing up and not thriving. It's just not That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Thank you so much. You have a beautiful night over in California and I'll speak real soon. <laughs> 
I hope you enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. And before I sign off, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you that writes a review or leaves a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you listen to the show. We appreciate it so much. It's the best way you can say thank you because it helps us stay visible and it helps people who haven't listened to the show before but who might come across it in a search think, hmm, I might give that a go. So I appreciate that and I'm wishing you the best week. Until next week, you can catch us on lowtoxlife.com. And if you want to check out those show notes, remember to put forward slash podcast and it'll take you straight there. Otherwise, I'll also see you on Instagram. I'm always posting there. It's a little bit more uh, personal and a look at sort of how I eat and what I do and my dad's pictures of blossoms and whatever else is going on. And that's at Low Tox Life. Have a great week and I'll see you next week. Bye.